Hello, Bill. Good morning, Matt. Welcome to the DMZ, everybody. Uh, Thursday, December 14th, uh, last night of Hanukkah. Have you, I'm sure you've had a wonderful Hanukkah season in West Virginia, Matt. Oh, it's uh, if there's any place that you want to celebrate Hanukkah, it is in West Virginia. It is uh, nothing but menorahs. How, how far? Uh, no, I, where, where's the closest temple to you, Matt? That I could not tell. <laughs> we do have a Catholic church, though, I'll have you know. It's, here it's not the same thing. Charles, I know it's very different. Uh, I have to say, I, I have a, uh, a friend who is a uh, 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 business owner uh, of a sort of like a store. And um, she confided in my wife, questioning whether they were going to put up a, menor a menorah, whether they felt safe yeah. doing it. So it's reached out. This whole, you know, thing has reached out here to Southern Western DMZ, sadly. Are there a lot of demands for ceasefire in West Virginia? No. I mean, obviously, uh, this is a very red place. I would say very pro-Israel by and large. But, you know, we're near... Shepherd College, Shepherd University, where I matriculated. And, um, you know, so there's, it's a college town. I would say there's a very small population of campus radicals, like a handful. Uh, so I think the concerns out here are probably overwrought, but in other places, Bill, maybe not. Uh, so, so what do you want to talk about, if not... Uh... Well, no, uh, I think we just have to. Uh, and by the way, I love the sweater. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. This Please, is warming up. Next week, we we will be uh, we will don our gay apparel, uh, and and we will be decked out in Christmas. Um, this week, we did promise to do Christmas movies, Bill, last week, and I think we should start there. And uh, you know, there's hundreds of these millions. Who knows how many Christmas movies exist? And some of them aren't even. Let's be honest, aren't even really Christmas movies. They just take place at Christmas. But but uh, why don't we just give our three three favorites? And they don't have to be the best, but just if you haven't seen these movies, here's what we like and why. Bill, I'll let you start. I I think I I don't have like a deep reservoir of Christmas movies that I've immerse myself in and, and treasure. I mean, I've liked, there's certain, uh, you know, Christmas Story, Scrooge, those are the, well, the 80s ones I felt most affinity to, and more recently, the, the Will Ferrell's uh, Elf Spirited, I find. Uh, I, I, I can watch Elf over and over again. And yeah. I, I saw Spirited twice last year, but I would definitely make that a, a regular in, in the in the Christmas repertoire. But Yeah, you know, I watch Elf every year, have already seen it. You're solid. So, what, what what are your three then? Well, I guess I have four. I'm, I'm expanding. Okay. Uh, Christmas Story, Scrooged, Elf, Spirited. Okay. So I think a theme for you would be these tend to be uh, comedies, right? Oh why? yeah. Why? Why, why would you, you want to watch some some downer on Christmas? <laughs> and did you say Die Hard? Did you put that on your list? I say. I mean, if we're if we're gonna expand the the lens to, you know, quasi Christmas films, obviously Die Hard's a classic. All right. So I'm going totally different direction with my three. I think we could agree those are good movies. I like all of them. Um, but my three are, are a little different. Um, and I'll do them in order uh, or, or actually the reverse order. Um, I'm going to start with uh, number three, uh, the Bill Murray Christmas. And by the way, so once we're talking about Murray, have you seen 
forget Bill Murray. Have you seen how Murray saved Christmas? This it's a it's a cartoon. I have not seen that. All right, I'm going to recommend this as sort of my four of that. So, how Murray saved Christmas? It's a cartoon featuring a lot of famous voices, uh, including uh, Jerry Stiller, I believe, is Murray, uh, and it's very funny. I think it debuted on NBC ten or fifteen years ago. Highly recommend it. Um, you know, maybe not maybe not entirely appropriate for the kids, but I show it to my kids. Um, then I'm going to go to the Bill Murray Christmas, which is available on Netflix. That's a special, right? Not a movie. I consider it a movie because it's it's probably about 90 minutes long, about the length of a movie. Um, but it's hard to categorize. I don't think it was ever at the theater per se, but it's on Netflix. I'm calling it a movie. Um, and I like it. And it's basically uh, the conceit is that Bill Murray is supposed to put on a show at the Carlisle in New York. And it's going to be like a Christmas Eve show and like Amy Poehler's his agent. It's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of cameos. Um, and uh, there's a blizzard. He gets stuck at the Carlisle and then uh, he and Paul Schaefer go drinking. And it's a it's a musical. So there's a lot of, uh, they even do Baby It's Cold Outside, which I know, Bill, is your favorite, um, favorite Christmas song. Uh, number two, I'm going with The Man Who Invented Christmas. Have you seen this one, Bill? Okay, so this is the story of Charles Dickens writing A Christmas Carol. And um, I would say if you are a writer, you'll love this movie because it's very much the process of like a writer, he's like spending all this money. He's, he's going broke. He's got a deadline, this tight deadline. The movie has to be, I'm sorry, the book has to be out by Christmas. Um, and as he's writing, the characters will appear and start, you know, the, the whole uh, sort of trope about the characters write themselves. It actually happens to Dickens in, in this story. Um, and you may wonder like, how is it that a quintessential Christmas movie uh, or Christmas book, Christmas story is about ghosts. And so it, it touches on that, that tradition coming, I guess, from Ireland, maybe. And as far as you know, it's roughly factual. Yeah, it is. It is. It's uh, very, I mean, obviously there are some artistic uh, you know, liberties taken, but it's, it's very much uh, hues to Dickens' true story. Um, I highly recommend it. And I, I say it's a sweet, romantic, um, uplifting. And speaking of which, my, my, my last movie, and you're going to mock me for this one, Bill, because it's, it's just, it's a layup, but it's a wonderful life. And I just showed it to my soon to be 13 year old. Now, every year I will show them the last 30, 40 minutes of this movie, you know, with all Lang down or whatever that song is. And, you know, uh, Every time an angel, you know, every time the bell rings, the angel gets his wings. I show them that part. But this year, for the first time, and this is a long movie, Bill. But um, there's a reason it's a classic. Uh, I've seen it twice this year. First time, uh, the colorized version, uh, which I do not recommend. See the black and white. That's what I watch with my oldest boy Burke. And uh, every time, better better than you think it is. You, I'm always learning new things, um, picking up on new things. And uh, what do you want, Mary? Do you want the moon? I could even do a Jimmy Stewart impersonation. Now, have you seen the SNL 
Dana Carvey, Jimmy Stewart, It's a Wonderful Life sketch? I have not. Oh, really? But what I have seen is I remember the the, the famous Reagan, uh, the famous SNL Reagan skit where yeah. you know, Reagan, Reagan is sort of Machiavellian. I remember that. That's Jimmy one of the greatest Stewart, of, of all time. Yeah. And Jimmy Stewart makes it. Well, Dana Carvey, I think, as Jimmy Stewart. You, you've changed, Dutch. Yeah. You, you son of a bitch. Right. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that part. Well, well I do. But I, I can't remember which if Jim, if Dana did the Reagan sketch first or the It's a Wonderful Life sketch first. But that's that's even more of a celebration of Jimmy Stewart. It's a wonderful live sketch. I'll I'll send you that clip. What oh, I yeah, do please. on Christmas or on Christmas is try to go back and find all the great Christmas TV episodes. So there's there's several great Thirty Rock Christmas episodes. There's yes. several great The Office Christmas episodes. Um, so I'm still sort of going back in the archives and trying to find the the, the best ones. Yeah, it's not like WKRP where we know that is the best Thanksgiving movie, right? Um, or TV show. I, I'm yeah. I'm a little, I'm just going to admit, I'm a little out of it. I'm trying to drink coffee to compensate. Uh, it's been it's been a crazy holiday season. There has been some cheer, <laughs> some merriment already. Um, not already today. It's it's 930. But, um, but you know, a little uh, stick in with me. But yeah, if you had to choose at this point, Bill, is, is there, forget, you know, The Office, that's the 90s, 30 Rock, that's that's the 2000s, or, or The Office and 30 Rock, they're, they're 21st century. Uh, from our era, Bill, the 80s, what, uh, is there a Christmas well, first, show? The first Simpsons, the first Simpsons oh, Christmas. The very first Simpsons right, yeah. episode. Yeah. Santa's Little Helper. Right. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> well, you know what people should do, Bill? You see me drinking my, my coffee here. Yeah. Uh, out of the Matt Lewis in the News cup. Yeah. Uh, this would be a great time of year if they like what we do here. They should help us keep the pirate ship afloat. You can go to patreon.com slash billshare and patreon.com slash Matt Lewis. And right now, Bill, I have a special tier that I have created because Christmas is nothing if it's not commercialization. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and go full circle here. Um I will send you a signed copy of Filthy Rich Politicians and Too Dumb to Fail. That's my wow. deal. That it's, is a deal. It's a hell of a deal. And I will try to get it to you by Christmas. I'll even make it out to whoever. Maybe it's a gift. <laughs> so check that out. Patreon.com. All right. All right good show, Bill. Real business. <laughs> good show. All right. I got I got to. As, as as Barack Obama said, I have a Christmas party to attend to. I'm going to let Bill Clinton take over. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's on your mind, Matt? Well, let's start with news that did not make me look great this week, and 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 that is news that Donald Trump is up in the polls, right? Uh, you really thought Nikki Haley was going to make the comeback? Were you really banking on that? That was well, just I, I, I think for that's purposes. It. I think I said she had an 80% chance, Bill. Um, but no, I think I said the opposite, right? <clears throat> Trump had an 80% chance. Well, whatever was, you know, mistakes were made. Aren't you going to hang your your hopes on the Christian Union endorsement? Isn't that the game changer, Matt? I still, be, I, I still believe, I don't know, I'm in a weird mood today, Bill, but I still believe that Nikki Haley wins New Hampshire. Really? But I think Trump will win Iowa. And who knows what that means. But, you know, uh, it seems likely, right, he's now over 50% in Iowa. 
And so if you were holding out hope that miraculously all the people who weren't voting for Trump would caucus for one other person, be it DeSantis or whomever, uh, it wouldn't matter, according to the polls. So we have a, a Trafalgar poll, everyone's favorite pollster, Trafalgar, um, in New Hampshire, December 9th to December 11th. So yes, before, just before the Sununu endorsement, uh, Trump 45, Haley 18, Christie 14, DeSantis 11, Ramaswamy 10, which again, I know Trafalgar is not the greatest, but it really isn't all that different from the Monmouth Washington Post poll that was taken the month prior. I mean, slight differences, but roughly the same. Uh, so, you know, I heard, I heard Chris Christie was asking it again, are you going to drop out now that Sununu is back to Haley? And Christie said, of course not. That's not how these things work. Um, and Christie didn't say this. But I'll, but the logic of him doing that is you are making it harder for Haley to consolidate the anti-Trump vote. But Christie plus Haley in this poll gets you to 32. There's no there's no argument that all of the DeSantis votes and the Ramaswamy votes, which in this poll totaled total 21 percent, they wouldn't all go to Haley if they dropped out. We know from the Des Moines Register poll of Iowa caucus goers that a lot of the DeSantis voters in Iowa, their second choice is Trump, not Haley. Uh, so Haley is just not in a position to win New Hampshire without Trump somehow losing support. It's not just going to be because she consolidates anti-Trump vote. People have to stop wanting to vote for Trump. Uh, and I just, I, I'm, I'm trying to be a broken record from past shows. Yeah. Like, you know, things happen in the final couple of weeks in these races sometimes, but usually it's because some development occurs, some external, uh, factor happens that shifts people's minds, uh, because, you know, a fresh attack gets launched. That I didn't know this about this person. Oh, this is making me question my previous sympathies. How does this happen to Donald Trump with everything that has already happened, already baked into the cake? That is the thing that I, I don't see anybody getting their heads around. All right. So because we have extensively had this discussion two weeks in a row, three weeks now, uh, although not extensively yet, um, I'm going to propose we table this for now. Okay. Um, but I wanted to bring it up because I didn't want to duck it. I didn't want to dodge it. Um, we should move on. I, let me, I want to say one thing that we, you and I didn't prep uh, at all. Did you see that the Washington Capitals and the Wizards are uh, moving very close to where I used to live, uh, mm -hmm. Potomac Yard um, in uh, Alexandria, Virginia? Yeah. Uh, from downtown D.C., they were in Chinatown Gallery Place area for... Yeah. 20 years or something, 15, 20 years, something like that. Um, I don't know if you have thoughts. I just want to say kind of on the record, uh, I think this is potentially very bad for Washington, D.C. Um, and the down and, 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 and that downtown had really revitalized. I mean, I feel like I, I kind of feel guilty that I, I never lived in D.C. I always lived in Northern Virginia or Maryland, but I feel guilty that like when I was working in downtown D.C., 
I picked the best possible time when it was. And now I, I am really concerned that D.C. is is heading in the wrong direction. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I haven't lived in D.C. in a long time. Uh, when I lived there was before that arena was even open. I mean, <clears throat> it, it is the issue that people aren't going to the games or are people going to the games and it's a very vibrant area that it, it, so it's going to be a real uh, detriment. It's going it's to feel different without them being there. I think that's what it is. I mean, we already have people fleeing, uh, I think, due to COVID. People started working from home. I mean, I talked to a friend of mine yesterday um, who is in the journalism business. His outlet during COVID moved to an office building on, um, I won't say exactly where it is, but I'm talking like prime real estate downtown, the place you would have wanted to be five years ago. And he's like, oh yeah, no one ever goes there. I never go there anymore. Everyone works from home now. Um and what happens is, you know, if you've read Bowling Alone or all these kind of books about about sociology and, and, and new urbanism and things and like what, you know, what makes areas safe partly is people are there walking around like business people and, and they don't leave at the end of the day and go home. They're there at night, too. They live there um, kind of, you know, and we could talk about you know, the, the dangers of gentrification or whatever, but like having uh, these, these, these cities be places that people want to go, go to concerts, go to a Caps game, go to a Wizards game. Then you go out to like, Jose Andres must have three or four restaurants within walking distance of the Wizards uh, and Caps where they play. What will happen to those restaurants? I, DC's already had this exodus of people in the last five years, I think due to COVID and, and, and other and, 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 and protests and things like that. I don't think this is a great, this is not great. Uh, and again, I don't have a dog in this fight. Like I, you know, but I just, this seems like a bad, bad omen. Well, I mean, I think it's the challenge for cities across the country because uh, there already was a move away from uh, getting out of your house and going and having experiences because of the internet and being able to order food at home and stream movies and all that kind of thing. And, the pandemic accelerated that trend and now everyone's even more sedentary than they were before. And that's very, that, that is definitely undermining downtown economies across the country. And so cities have to be creative about what can we do? You know, they're, it's like they're social planners. What can we do to like have fun things downtown uh, that will bolster our local business community and keep economic activity going. Uh, and so all that money doesn't just get, you know, yeah. sucked up by, by Amazon and DoorDash and whatnot. Uh, so uh, I, th I think there was an argument 10 or so years ago that sports stadiums were boondoggles. Uh, this is just throwing money, you know, good money after bad. They don't change the downtown economies. They're just giveaways to rich owners and so you shouldn't bend over backwards for it. Uh, and I, I'm not in a position to know if, if there's fresh research on the subject. I would like to see fresh research. Yeah. Because we know, I mean, you know, San Francisco is a, is a, is a particularly acute example where, you know, Silicon Valley, is just everyone's working remotely in Silicon Valley now and commercial real estate has just collapsed uh, in the downtown area. Uh, 
and the mayor is openly talking about, we have to start brainstorming what we, what, how we, we imagine our downtowns differently to deal with this, this reality. Uh, I would think sports teams downtown, it's something that's got to be part of that. Uh, even if it wasn't yeah. a huge economic driver before, it's one of the last best things. I mean, this is just my intuitive sense, not backed up by data as of yet, but I would like to see people digging into that question. Well, look, and I'm willing to believe that um, a lot of these sports stadiums are boondoggles and giveaways. Um, but you have to understand, when it comes to the Caps and the Wizards, where they play was literally embedded into this Gallery Place Chinatown community. This is in the heart of Washington, D.C. Um, it's very, you can easily metro there. You can easily cab there. You could walk there if you were downtown on a nice day. Um, so uh, it was it, it was something for people to do. It created foot traffic. You could walk right next door. There's a, a big Clyde's, Re- Clyde's restaurant, which is kind of a, a nice local chain in the Washington, D.C. area, Clyde, C-L-Y-D-E. It's, I think they also own the Old Ebbett Grill. Uh, I think it's the same people. Um, there's like a bowling alley right there that I've been to like a Christmas party at. It's kind of one of those cool, like this is a, this isn't like get in your car and drive, you know, out to New Jersey to go watch the Giants play or something. This is like in your community, in your neighborhood, walkable. And then you have people coming in, uh, spending money there as well. So I, I think there are intangible benefits. Uh, I think that there's the, the financial benefit of attracting uh, tourists and visitors uh, who are going to go to restaurants and bars. But I, I also think there's something to be said for just having the energy and the excitement and the foot traffic that's going to be missing. So, I mean, DC's got a crime problem right now, Bill. I was inside CNN. This is maybe four years ago now, four or five years ago. I was inside CNN while I was on TV. Someone attempted to carjack my driver. And he got away. But when I came out, there were like two or three police cars there interviewing my driver. Like this is and it's only gotten worse. Um, and I feel like I was kind well, of I was in D.C. when Marion Barrier was mayor. So you're not going to shock me with D.C. crime stories. You guys are sure have it like a million times better. No, but <laughs> as Mayor Marion Barry put it, D.C. may be that murder capital, but back then. They were they weren't killing strangers. It was like literally Mayor Barry made this point that like these were gangs killing each other. They weren't they weren't going after tourists. <laughs> I don't know what it's worth. Shrinking the case. Um, speaking of high crimes, I hear Joe Biden's getting impeached. That's what I wanted to talk about. Maybe that'll be the headline of this piece uh, or of this uh, this this video. Um, I'm writing a piece about it, so I'm hoping. So I've already written. I wrote a column about a week ago. Keep, keep, uh, keep riffing, Matt. I hear you. I was, I was to make sure. Okay. I, don't I wrote a column about a week ago where the Speaker of the House, uh, Mike Johnson, whatever his name is, um, you know, he had been on TV signaling that he was going to go forward with this uh, impeachment inquiry. And at the time, I wrote a piece saying, like, the Democrats and Joe Biden should be hoping that this happens. They should be rooting for this to happen um, because what does Joe Biden need? Well, I think he, he's got, he has a coalition that is being fractured and is not enthused 
And what might enthuse them? Well, it seems like based on recent history, not even that recent, going back to Bill Clinton, that attempting to impeach a president, uh, it's not a silver bullet that will end his presidency, um, but it very well could galvanize support behind him and kind of turn him into a victim. And so I do think there's an opportunity that an impeachment could be really good for Joe Biden, ironically. But what just assumes he actually gets impeached. What we had yesterday was a vote for an impeachment inquiry. Yeah. Uh, and I heard, I, I think I heard Jake Tapper on CNN saying, well, if you, if you do the inquiry, then they're, they're going to go to impeachment. But I don't think that's necessarily true. I think you have Biden district Republicans and some other, you know, vulnerable swing district Republicans who might have been willing to say, okay, let's stay unified on this question on the premise of we're, we're just gathering evidence here. Yeah. You can't find the evidence. I can't go to my particular set of voters and say to them, uh, this isn't a political ploy to attack Biden in an election year. Uh, you, you don't have the evidence now. If you don't get it, you don't get my vote for an actual impeachment. And, and then the question, and if that's the case, if they, if they don't have a hard 218 or 217 based on you know, vacancies, uh, does the hard right pressure Speaker Johnson to hold the vote anyway? You know, how dare you do this inquiry? You know, we need, we need to have this impeachment and you have to give us a chance to vote on it. Uh, forcing a divide in the Republican Party to be exposed uh, to the country. Uh, so uh, it's it, what would make the most political sense to me would be to have the inquiry linger and dribble out an occasional crumb of evidence, quote unquote, to keep the appetite of the base wetted without making this a you know five alarm fire above the fold story that could lead to the kind of backlash you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, that so they have to let it linger. They have to. They have to let it linger. But that requires the Taylor Greens of the caucus to allow the wink, wink, nod, nod to happen without them complaining. Uh, and if they won't settle for that, then the backlash isn't necessarily Biden gets impeached. The backlash is Republicans are in disarray all over again. Um, so I've laid out my original take, which is an impeachment seems to help the person being impeached, particularly if, if, if that person needs to be to have his base galvanized and to be yeah. defended by his team. So that would be the predictable outcome. Um, now, I know that the way that the impeachment inquiry was written, it's very broad and it's it's not accusatory at all uh, regarding Joe Biden. But I still wonder, and this is where I think, you know, in the 90s, like I could not stand James Carville and Paul Begala. Um, and I have to say, I've gotten to know Paul a little bit through CNN and a nicer guy you will not find. But um, I could not stand the way that they uh, the, the viciousness of, of their spin and their attacking, you know, like 
especially regarding the Monica Lewinsky trial, where they would go after anybody who was, you know, they would try to blame uh, shift and all that. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't need someone like that. Like all of these Republicans who voted for this inquiry, they shouldn't be allowed to get off saying, well, we're just asking questions. That vote should have been cro uh, crossing the Rubicon. And I think if Carvel and Begala circa 1994 were out there as, as sort of as surrogates, it, they wouldn't get away with it. But I, I have the sense that Biden doesn't have, Biden, Biden cannot litigate this kind of thing rhetorically, and he doesn't have attack dogs doing that. Well, I think he does. I think, he has, I think there's a whole army of people, uh, maybe not a singular not figure like a Carvel or a Begala who's tasked with it, but I think there's a whole army of Democrats in Congress, on the White House staff, on social media, they're more than happy to go after Republicans who, who push scurrilous charges. But the problem is that- They need someone who's mean, Bill. Mean and vicious. They don't have that. The bigger problem is that Biden is the president of the United States and has to actually govern. And he has giant challenges of his own that don't allow for you know luxury time to go- taking potshots of Republicans. You know, he has to solve this Ukraine border security legislative puzzle first and foremost. And I, I apologies if, if this from prompting a, a segue into a different topic, but the article that I wrote for the Washington Monthly today, you know, you're seeing some, some coverage, legitimately so, raising the prospect of a democratic fraying uh, of, the, of their coalition if Biden uh, accepts concessions on border security to Republicans and has tough measures that restrict access to asylum uh, that harken back to the Trump days. Uh, but what I don't think is getting as much attention is if that deal gets done and you have a bipartisan Ukraine aid border security package what kind of divide does that uh, levy on Republicans? I, I think this really blows up the entire logic behind America First. The whole thing that Trump and people like J.D. Vance and Taylor Greene, that they push, they push a zero-sum logic. We can't help Ukraine because we need the money here. And if you do both things, at the same time, with Republican help, that really undercuts the case that Trump wants to make about uh, the entire Biden uh, philosophy of, of internationalism. Uh, so, I, and, I, and I'm not as convinced that on the Democratic side, uh, and I, again, I. I'm waiting the treacherous ground, of course, because I don't speak for the Latino community. I was looking at looking at survey data. You know what, what survey data I've rec recently seen of Latino priorities, immigration is way down on the list. Now, those things can change. Things can move up based on events. Uh, but I think it, it, my gut says is it's a misnomer that this is an issue that is dominating Latino community thinking. I mean, it's not a monolith, that different people are in different circumstances. Uh, but I think Biden is actually on safer ground because there is a genuine border crisis right now. This is not 2018. This is not a tr 
not a manufactured, oh my goodness, the caravan is coming, the caravan is coming, when it's like, you know, 50 people. Right now, there is an actual giant spike in migration from countries farther and farther away. Uh, and so even when Biden expands humanitarian parole for Venezuela, Haiti, Nicaragua, Cuba, uh, that legalize a lot of that flow, then you get fresh influx from, from Africa and from China. It just... It, America is getting its influx because America is thriving as a country because the American economy is actually really good. Uh, and so it attracts people from places where the economy is bad. Uh, and on the whole, it's not bad for America to have additional labor when labor market's tight. Uh, but there is genuine hardship on municipalities when it all comes at once and there aren't beds available. So there's an actual problem to solve that People, even in blue states, even Latino areas understand, that's my sense of it, uh, which is why I think Biden can lean rightward on this and not have the same problem that I think Republicans might have if they lean the other way. Um, all right. Well, let me, I just want to go back real quick to the impeachment thing mm -hmm. and circle back on that, because the, I think the one caveat to my argument that this helps Biden would be member of the Benghazi hearings. Yeah. And it was because Republicans were engaged in the Benghazi hearings, which I think was, um, a, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I think it, it's a legitimate issue, but I thought that the hearings were, you know, kind of performative um, and politically motivated, obviously. But the one thing they came out of that, I think somehow Hillary's laptop the existence of uh, Huma Abedin or what, whatever, that story came out of the Benghazi hearing and that story arguably elected Donald Trump um, due to the James Comey interference. Uh, and so it is possible that even if this is a wild goose chase, even if Biden's completely innocent, by poking around at the Hunter Biden stuff, it's possible that something's going to come out that almost accidentally could doom Joe Biden. I mean, this is the logic that's driven Republican thinking for a long time. You know, go on the uh, do the witch hunt. Worst case scenario, worst case scenario is that you you level the level the playing field. We already know they're going to, you know, Trump's already going to be hauled into court. We already know that. He's already indicted. But can we can we muddy the water so it looks like, hey, everybody does something. Everybody's yeah. got their, their mitts into something. You know, there's, there's something fishy going on with Biden here. I don't, I don't know all the goods maybe, but something's going on. You heard of, you've heard the stories, right? Uh, so that's that's their logic. Uh, I, I don't think it, it, it's not ludicrous. Uh I don't think it is uh, a slam dunk uh, strategy for them, but yeah. there is. That's a, why I think Democrats behind it. That's why I think Democrats should be doing a better job of making them pay. They make those Republicans. And I'm putting my strategist hat on here, right? Make those all those 17 Republicans in Biden districts or whatever, make them pay. And if they do not come up with an impeachable, if they do not impeach him then that means he's exonerated. That they, you know, well, well, they need to be made to pay. I don't think the Democrats are capable of that. 
I mean, there's no way Biden gets convicted, obviously. You know, uh, either he gets impeached and they have a trial and their evidence doesn't look good in the light of day and the, the Senate vote goes Biden's way and that's, and that's the end of that. Or they can't even get an impeachment vote approved by their own by their own conference in the House, and that looks bad for them. So it's it's not that well thought out a strategy if you're actually going to force a vote. I think it's a better strategy if you don't force a vote and just yeah. do like drip 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 stuff. That's why they must be made to force a vote. That's why not voting means an exoneration. I mean, I'm just saying, like if Paul Begala and James Carville. Or Dick Morris, who you know, fill in your your demo, you know, your democratic attack dog, kind of uh, George Stephanopoulos. I don't know if, if if these guys, that's what they would do. They would find a way to drive those messages. I just don't think Biden has anyone who can do that, or does it? I don't think it's a lack of of people. I, I, I go back to again the the governing challenges. I mean, let's look at the let's look at the time frame for the next few months here. In all likelihood. The presidential primaries are over on J- January 23rd. The, the, I grant you that, you know, it's not a certainty, but all indications are Trump wins both of those states. And that's the end of Haley and DeSantis and Christie and Ramaswamy. That's effectively wrapped up. It's all, and all like Dean Phillips does not win New Hampshire or even have a great showing in New Hampshire. Uh, he's not even on the ballot in Nevada and South Carolina. Uh, so that's the end of that. And so then you have a uh, 10 month, it's 41 week general election campaign. Now, also around this time, we have to keep the government open. I, I think the first deadline uh, of the, the two pronged stopgap bill, I think, I think the first deadline is mid January and the next is early February. So that has to get resolved. So does it get resolved on time or is there some type of shutdown that occurs? I don't know. But Biden will have to be involved in solving that with Speaker Johnson. Uh, and there's also going to be high urgency to get this Ukraine border deal resolved by that time. I am a fairly optimistic sort. I, again, I, I don't know how rocky the path will be, uh, but I suspect they will pass something on, in both those areas in the early part of 2024. And then once that's passed them, uh, both those things will involve bipartisan votes. So Biden will be able to say, Washington is working. You know, we've taken a lot of hits. We uh, we're in a very difficult polarized time, but we're despite that, we're still working across the aisle to get things done for the American people. And by the way, what's Donald Trump focused on himself? Uh, he, he's playing the victim again. He's, he's uh, spreading scurrilous rumors about me. Meanwhile, we're governing and we're tackling, and, and the and the economy is getting better. The economy is still growing. The Fed is 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 not raising rates anymore. The, the stock market is up again. This is all hypothetical based on what events might occur, but that strikes me as a fairly plausible beginning to the general election campaign in the late winter, early spring of next year. I agree with all of that. But what we know is that Biden doesn't get credit for things he does. Not yet. Um, And we also know you can walk and chew gum at the same time. Bill Clinton could take credit. We have got this economy humming. 
and I need to give back to the people's business. But those those Republicans that you know what I mean, like you can attack people who are trying to impeach you. You can smash them in the face <laughs> and also govern and pass legislation and get things well, well, done. I don't think the future well, this is going to happen, but. There's a there's a there's a certain finite amount of news space. There's only so much time in a day for CNN, MSNBC, and Fox to do news segments. There's only so much space on a website screen. So long as you have unsettled legislative business, that crowds out space to do other types of campaign activity, and that's the space Biden is in right now. The, his governing challenges crowd out time to do other things. Um, I would if if I were Biden, I would put Sunday. I would put somebody on who says, "Let me tell you, there's two things that's going to happen. Those 17 Republicans who voted to impeach, who voted for this impeachment inquiry, we are going to make them famous. We are going to spend millions of dollars making sure all their constituents know that they want to impeach this president, who, by the way, has turned around this economy, who, by the way, has you know all this stuff. And not only that, if the House doesn't impeach him. We are considering that an exoneration because we know that this is a wild goose chase. This is a witch hunt. This is total BS. They will not impeach him. And when they don't, that is going to be an exoneration. You heard it here first. It means yesterday, Joe Biden's best surrogate, Hunter Biden. He got a lot of TV time laying out how Republicans were manufacturing a phony case specifically for political reasons to attack his father. He may not be the best messenger. Well, what did, what did you think? What did you think of the performance? Uh, I haven't seen it, Bill. Well, you didn't see him on TV yesterday? I know he did it, but to me, that's part of, part and parcel of of the issue. Now, maybe this is... I, 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 it just seemed like... I, I mean, got to say, I watched Morning Joe. I mean, not in its entirety, it's like on for five hours, but like I watched Morning Joe and I watched CNN and I watched Fox and Friends and I know that this happened. I have not seen anything compelling that maybe I'm just out of it. You know, I need to go. I I, I don't, I don't watch these shows anymore. I listen, you know, through either my phone or my uh, Amazon Echo. Uh, But like everything stopped. When Hunter spoke, they that was the breaking news, and they repeated the clip over and over all day long yesterday. At least, at least on CNN. Yeah, maybe this says more about me than it does about the Bidens, Bill. <laughs> I was, uh, uh, what was I doing? You know what? Yesterday, I I had a whole bunch of meetings, so I'm a, I'm out of touch. Maybe Biden, maybe maybe they're doing they're doing your homework, Matt Lewis. Maybe they're doing things perfectly. Maybe this is being, I, I, I would imagine that Hunter's not the best messenger, but. Obviously he's, he's a far example, but I, I did think, like if you didn't know anything about Hunter Biden before, like he gave a compelling performance. Um, he was not bad at speaking and speaking in, a, in, a, in an emotive way, but obviously Let me ask you. he has his difficulties. Before we wrap it up, I want to, now I want to jump back to what you were saying about actual legislation. 